I'm Brent Leary. I'm Paul Greenberg. You know who we are at this point, right? I mean, do we have to keep doing this? Do we have to keep saying this every week? <laughs> I actually don't know who we are anymore, but but at least other people do. Well, just so that we have a nice layer of consistency, we are the CRM players. Good to know. <laughs> and it is 76 degrees here in Atlanta. It's like yeah, springtime or something. We're at 73, which is insane. Tomorrow is supposed to be 48. Now that's, you know, going from 73 to 48, that's kind of rough. Yeah, it's all right. I'll stay in. (laughs) (laughs) So this is week two of like analyst slash user conference event mayhem because it feels like every day there's at least two, if not three, events that we could be and probably should be attending but how do you do all three at the same time we should have brought ray wong on and uh asked we don't need him man we just need a browser oh look this somebody one. is bragging about the weather up in boston i'm, I'm guessing that is bob fagel yeah liu aka liu <laughs> yeah you gotta get that security setting set up man it's kind of weird. <sighs> but, you know, this feels a little off because our first commenter usually is not here. I know. And I was actually co- uh, commenting. <laughs> Thanks, Alan. That makes our life You so added much to easier. the man, by the way. Right. That makes <laughs> us our lives so much easier. It's good to know that's how you're thinking. <laughs> I'm starting. Uh, Do we need to put out an all points bulletin or something? Because. I literally communicated with him 15 minutes ago. Oh, right. So he's he's safe. Oh, but speak uh, of the. uh, I was going to say speak of the devil, but that's not really nice. Oh no! Negotiators is negotiators. Yeah. So Sven's writing a post for me on supply chain and its impact on CX and CX's impact on the supply chain, and those of. Those of you out there who have ever written posts for me know I am a brutally difficult editor. Um, so I came back with a number of comments that I asked him to take a look at, and he wants he wants to negotiate how many of them he wants to do, he should has to do, right? So wow. we're going to sit down at the table over whiskeys at some point and hash it out. It's going to be long and tough negotiations. All right, that's uh. But Sven is the man. He's up for the task. He's up for the challenge. So I hope. Yeah. Oh, he is. There's no question. That's what I wonder. I'm expecting ultimately a very, very good post. An excellent. Oh, I would expect that too. Yeah, me too. The smart guy with good insight. So we do have a a guest coming up, and it's a first time guest. So we we like having first time guests. Um, shortly. Not right now, because I do have something I want to talk with uh, PG about. But uh, Brad Maddock, who is the Senior Vice President of Slack Marketing at Salesforce, is going to be joining us right off the heels of the Slack Frontiers uh, conference that went on this week. So we're going to talk to him about, you know, some of the big announcements and just, you know, how Slack and Salesforce in general, how they're gelling, how they're coming together and what that means for their customers and things like that. But that'll be in, in a few minutes. But before that, you know what? We were just talking about how many events that are going on, particularly in our industry. I mean, we could almost, (laughs) every vendor seems to be doing something over the last couple of weeks. But one vendor that kind of falls outside of our traditional realm, I guess, is NVIDIA. Mm -hmm. And... They recently had their conference. They recently announced their earnings. And um, as I saw a little earlier today, I think their market cap, their stock price is up like 11% today because their earnings are kind of killer and, and the expectations going forward. But it's not necessarily about their traditional stuff, which is great. We all know they're, they're the big player in GPUs and things like that. Maybe... It's not necessarily 
GPUs, it's GPUs for things that we think of them for, like graphics accelerators and gaming and, and all that kind of stuff. But one area that it just feels like they, it hasn't really crossed over into maybe our side is the impact they're having on conversational AI. Um, <laughs> I, up until like seven or eight months ago, I really just thought of them uh, about, you know, graphic accelerator cards, GPUs, all the yeah. stuff that they're known for. But quite Mining. honestly, they may be the leaders <clears throat> in uh, driving conversational AI forward. And I, I just find that really fascinating. I, I don't know how much you thought about them or looked into them, but there's some one that I think we need to start really taking much more seriously in the area that we focus on. I, I look, I, I don't know too much about what they're doing specifically in conversation AI, but I do know one thing I see, I've seen the number of references to that really intrigues me similarly, which is, um, they have a product, I guess they're releasing or a solution they're releasing or a platform releasing called broadcast, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, it kind of goes to what you and I are talking about now, which is, you know, if you think about, I was thinking about this this morning, actually. You and I, over the years, when we've done the plays now, what, this is our 12th or 13th year, 12th heading into 13. And uh, and we've really evolved a long way as long in terms of how we've looked at the market and what we think is the primary lines of attack that, you know, people have to take when it comes to really aligning with the market and, and the needs of the market and so on and so forth and the people in it. And, you know, we've obviously you and I have, I think, been among the people most adamant about shifting more toward content generation, distribution and consumption as a primary market mover for companies in our world. And that, you know, broadcasting and those kind of things are the way these things are going to get distributed and consumed. So within that context, you know, NVIDIA coming out with broadcast, broadcast with whatever it is, and you, you, maybe you can explain some more on the conversational AI side. I got two clips makes that, sense. that we could show a little bit about that, but go ahead with your thought first. Yeah, and just that it makes complete sense. And I was talking with Verant yesterday, and we were talking about Adobe and NVIDIA among two companies that now are in our orbit, right? Because of, and not everybody necessarily our industry's orbit, but yours and my orbit because of the, what we see as kind of the vision and mission of the industry as a whole, you know, and what's coming down the pike and what is, what's in the pike now, so to speak. So, or on the pike, I guess. So anyway, that's, um, that's what I think. And, you know, there's a big context for it, but I, I don't know, about the conversational AI pieces of it. I only saw the broadcast thing, which may incorporate some of that. I don't know. So let me show you uh, a couple of clips. One, let's see, which one should I do first? They kind of feed off each other, but I'm going to do the one that's probably the most visual and, and kind of descriptive first, and then I'll go into the second one. Okay after that so this one is actually taken from uh their the nvidia gtc conference that just happened not too long ago and it's uh a little clip of the ceo over there talking about conversational not just talking about it but actually showing it to a certain okay extent. so check this out uh, before we jump into data centers guys i want to show you something we've been building a conversational ai Toy me. You're going to see <laughs> speech understanding, natural language processing on the largest model ever trained, speech synthesis with my own voice, character Holy animation, crap. and beautiful ray trace graphics, all in real time. Toy me was made with some amazing technologies that have become possible only recently, and barely so. Hi. Hello. Hello, Toy Jensen. Hi. Please ask me anything. What are the greatest threats of climate change? The greatest threats of climate change are the effects on human health, food security, water supplies, and the environment. 
How do astronomers look for exoplanets? Most exoplanets are found via the transit method. That was the case for the TRAPPIST-1 planets. Tell me more about that method. The transit method is when a planet passes in front of its star. The amount of light block tells astronomers the size of the planet. The duration of the transit tells astronomers the orbital period of the planet. What telescopes use that method? The Kepler Space Telescope used the transit method to find thousands of exoplanets. I've heard about a satellite called TESS that is used to find planets. How does it work? TESS is a space telescope that looks for transits. Thank you. Goodbye. Sure, anytime. <laughs> uh, yeah, I find that really. And I bring this up now because I'm starting to get involved and hear a lot more about conversational AI seemingly moving out of the, I don't know if it's the shadows and into some, some possibilities that will really impact not just customer experience, but employee experience. Um, but I think about it because I, I think I'm at the seven year anniversary mark of getting that first Amazon Echo device. And thinking back to then and then looking at what that is, what we just saw, I think we're seemingly getting closer to where people are going to be able to have actual conversations, not just kind of like call and receive. I need something easy done. I'll do it for you. But full-blown conversations. And that kind of opens up way more opportunities for getting even more out of enterprise applications. If you're literally able to start having intelligent conversations, because that, that thing was taking real-time answers and being able to answer them, not, not just, you know, scripted questions that already need to be answered. You can tell you, you, it was really interesting to see the avatar, the digital avatar, whatever you call that thing, kind of look up and act like he's thinking about it before he responded. Much more human than the, you know, what we have known this kind of stuff for, you know, over decades, but that blew me away. I don't know what you thought about it. No, I, I thought it was amazing. And actually, we you know what came to mind is a, I think we're looking with what we just saw, which I guess they call Project Tokyo, judging from the banner, uh, T-O-K-K-I-O. Um, I'm saying that's probably for mass mass use, probably, what, guess a couple of years away, maybe? Yeah, um, it's not right around the corner, but right. It's but but here's the interesting thing: there's actually a sort of a primitive version of that that does exist, but doesn't have anywhere near the impact. Which is with you know our friend. It's in my in the room here. Echo A, you know A. Right. So if you go A, tell me and ask the same question. What you're going to get back is the answer almost always is here's something I found on the web, right, <laughs> right, and then reading that. Right. What they're adding was that sort of digital human element, so to speak. And they're they're making it, you know, all it's not emotional quite yet, but um, but personable. Right. And uh, and at the same time, eliminating the reference, you know, the here's something I found on the web part and just having this CEO of NVIDIA's avatar answer the question as if it were a conversation, because I don't know a single person on the earth who you say, hey, well, uh, hey, Brent, well, what do you think of the game last night? Uh, well, here's something I found on the web. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> well, it's like you could see like his avatar was thinking. <laughs> like hmm, I know. I, They're I just very thought smart. that was really cool. Now, I got one more clip um, okay. that actually kind of maybe goes a little bit more into detail as to why NVIDIA was able to do something like this and why we're on the road to being able to do so much more. And this is a, from a conversation I had with Brian Cantanzaro, who's VP of Applied Deep Learning Research at NVIDIA. And he's talking about another thing that uh, happened with their, uh, their conversational AI stuff. Let me cue this up. Basically what they did was download, um, you know, as much of the internet as they could 
And uh, then they fed it to a very, very large neural network, one of the largest that humanity's ever created. And the job of this network is very simple. It is to predict the next word given some context. So given the past from the document, what's the next word? And um, so they made this model and, uh, and, you know, they were able to show that it was, it was good in the sense that it, it fulfilled sort of the, the objective that it had been trained for. But what they found that was, um, I think, really inspiring uh, for, for everyone is that this model, because language is so general and the task of understanding language uh, is, is so uh, vast and, and sort of all-encompassing, that this model, even though it had been trained only to predict a word, actually was able to do some simple reasoning and solve new kinds of problems. Um, oh, so right. one example um, that I, I just am continue to, to, to marvel about is that this model can actually translate uh, from English to Spanish. Um, and uh, this is kind of amazing because what it means is that the model had to learn a lot of high-level concepts about the, the world. It had to learn that languages exist, that humans um, communicate with languages, that these languages um, have parallel vocabularies. So there's correspondence between similar concepts that are expressed with different words in these different languages. It had to learn that uh, the language that uh, it is uh, that one language that it had seen was English and it had this vocabulary and another language that it had seen from many documents on the internet was Spanish. It had to learn the connection between those words. And then it had to learn about the task of translation where the job is to, to move from one language to another, including the grammar uh, and uh, the, you know, sort of the connections between the words, uh, word order. Um, and then uh, it also had to learn that I was asking it uh, to do a translation, you know, when I, the, because the way you interact with these models is instead of retraining them to do a new task, you just give it some examples and you say, here's an English colon. And then there's a sentence in English, Spanish colon, here's a sentence in Spanish, give it a few examples like that. And then you say English colon, give it a sentence in English and Spanish colon and leave it blank and then let the model predict. And, um, this format is actually enough for the model to understand and, and put all those pieces together and actually produce a proper translation. Wow. Yeah, that's, there was so much going on there. Let me bring this out. There was so many things that I hadn't even thought about, you know, when I, my initial want for conversational AI to be into enterprise software applications, but what he described there are so many pieces and they feel like they're starting to come together. And I'm, I'm starting to get a little bit more excited about this stuff. Now, you remember, I mean, I started that whole ZDNet thing because yeah. I, I was thinking, well, we're going to get to that real quick. That didn't happen. Of course. <laughs> now I know why, but it feels like it's getting closer and it's the company that is completely outside of, what we were thinking when it comes to customer engagement in CRM, that seems to be kind of on the cusp of this breakthrough around this. Well, you know, yeah. Well, one interesting facet before, you know, we bring on bed, but one interesting yeah. facet was think of our buddy, Kenny Lauer for a minute. All right. Um, if you actually look at Kenny specifically, and for those who don't know him, he's the former vice president of digital market and marketing at the golden state warriors. He's, uh, tied into a uh, investment company right now that that also is a uh, does a lot of R and D type research around um, AR and VR and AI conversational AI. I mean, in other words, the very advanced kind of thinking. And he's very he's close to companies like Nvidia and the like too. But Kenny's sort of, in a way, the explanation for it all. I mean, if Kenny's perspective has always been, as you and I know, has been around customer experience, right? How yeah. a customer feels about a company over time mm -hmm. and, or how it feels about anything really over time. And, um, and what's fascinating about this is that because it's, everything has moved into the behavioral realm, then we're all of a sudden not only talking about processes and business rules and, you know, and solutions and platforms, we're also talking about behavior and, um, and senses and emotions and feelings, 
right? Which all impact how a look. The word is how a customer feels. Okay, not how a customer uses business processes, right? So, <laughs> right. right. So, the, these kind of things have massive impact on that. And with the generational shift, that of course I can't ever stop talking about. Um, <laughs> you know the um, the way that those gen- the so-called digital native generations consume is highly sensate right i mean there's a they remember more when they they can watch it right and not you know the thing it always shocks me and i don't know about you but how that generation barely reads you know and and it sort of freaks me out a little bit because you know i think it's so important to do that but at the same on the flip time, side of that though they consume way more information and are seeming are, are able to process that in more in real time and do something with than i ever did when i was that age yeah no and me too and well again keep in mind what your guest uh from nvidia said in the very beginning i mean we're the technology at the point where he said well they downloaded as much of the internet as they could (laughs) it's like remember that that guy i finished the internet i got to the end of the internet and yeah. he had this glazed donut look on it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I mean, the technology is actually at the point where you can even make that statement, and it's not like insane. It's not like a lunatic is talking, right? So, yeah. I mean, that guy is clearly, but that's what I'm saying. So, I think the world's kind of in a place where the companies like NVIDIA, companies positioned or semi in our universe like Adobe and others, you know, on the but on the creation side of content as opposed to the marketing and experiential digital marketing side, you know, companies like those are beginning to fall into our, they're actually directly in our orbit around engagement and CX. Right. And, Mm -hmm. and I think, you know, going forward, I, part of, I think what you and I need to do with, I think we've talked about like 20 trillion times is make (laughs) sure that we bring them forward right into our universe. So, um, you know, and actually, the the op, the other side of that goes to what our guest is doing the other the other end of that which Let is connected in community um because slack frontiers just went on this week i believe it was the first slack frontiers after the acquisition from salesforce so so really interesting to talk about that uh with our guests but before bringing on i wanted to share uh a, this was a post that came from I think it was the Slack kind of blog and it was around some of the big things coming out of the conference, but I just took this piece of it because I think it sets the stage for, you know, what Slack is and and particularly what Slack and Salesforce is looking to do. This isn't about translating our existing work patterns to a virtual space, but fundamentally reshaping how we work. And to me, that's the difference between when people say digital transformation, but they're really talking about digital transition, a uh, transition, meaning take what we already do and try to use technology to be more efficient and more productive, but basically still doing the same thing versus transformation, which is, no, we don't want to just do the same thing. We want to see how we can do things better. And I think, that was one of the messages. Now I dipped in and out of the, the uh, Slack Frontiers event because what we just said, there's like a hundred other things going on. So we're just trying to figure out how do you got to get the gist of things and then keep moving. But that was kind of the fundamental basic message that I took from what I saw. And right now I want to welcome Brad Maddock, who is the SVP of marketing for Slack at Salesforce to get into this a little bit more, but this is our first time actually talking to Brad. So Brad, thank you for uh, joining us and, and thanks for, well, I hope you you have a good experience once we're done with this conversation, but thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Looking forward to the conversation. Where, where are you actually located? Uh, I'm here uh, out in Silicon Valley, so I'm on the peninsula ah. just south of San Francisco. On the, on the West it, Coast, okay. It yes. almost looks I, like you're on like a, a Star Wars ship or something with the lights 
kind of in the back. That's yeah. a skylight. Looks yeah, like yeah. You skylight. know, it's a, it's a, it's a little overcast today here in, in the Bay Area, but there's a lot of light coming in. So yeah, I've always got this backlight going on. Hopefully that's not works bad, there. not bad at all. I, and well, I mean, I, I, I'd love to start with this thing because I, I, I've had sort of an, a back and forth history with Slack. I like it. It's just that when I, you know, one of the things if you look at Slack from the beginning people have always tended to see it as a, let's call it a, a platform, a community platform for developers. That was the history. That's whether that's fair or not, isn't really the point. It's sort of, that's how they saw it. Right. And if you actually look at a lot of the materials, it's always seemed to do a lot more than that, but it is what, you know, people saw for what they saw it. Obviously now prior to Salesforce, prior to all of this, it expanded its role, expanded its possibilities a great deal even if, you know, even if those were, even if they were right about developers initially, but you've gone well beyond that. And now you're moving to what, you know, Brent, Brent showed around the redefinition of work. So what I'd be curious about is a little on the historic side, I guess, to start is, um, was it actually a community for developers and when it started and even if whether it was or it wasn't how you began seeing it and evolving it and changing it. And also from a personal standpoint, were you there for the whole, were you, have you been there for the whole thing or most of the ride, so to speak? Yeah, sure. Uh, personally. So I've been at Slack for just coming up on two years here, literally in okay. a few weeks. So I've not been here for the whole ride. The company's been okay. around for eight years, but uh, certainly have been indoctrinated in the history and happy to happy to share that. I should also mention, though, I actually worked at Salesforce. I think I might have met one or both of you like 15 years ago. So oh my God. back when Salesforce was about 450 people, I joined in 04. Uh, and I ran, we didn't call it Sales Cloud then. We called it SFA, Salesforce Automation, right. if you remember. And I saw John Tashek was on with you all recently. And oh, so yeah. John and I Hopefully. talked to a lot of folks back then. So I'll, I'll both compare and contrast a little bit Slack with, with CRM, if that's helpful today. But yeah. Um, to, to answer your question, so yeah, Slack, absolutely. I mean, most companies start with with a wedge, right? Like you find your way into a market and you drive that wedge really deep and fast and then you try to broaden from there. And Slack is in the history of B2B software, the fastest company to get to a billion in revenue, like full stop, faster than Workday, faster than Salesforce and so on. And a lot of the reason that happened was because developers organically and virally adopted Slack because it made them more productive. They got work done faster. They were able to check in their code. They were able to resolve issues. That's that's a place of honor where we started and we still have lots of opportunity as a business to serve developers. But along the way, what the company figured out is, hey, this is great for developers. It's actually great for everybody. And, and when I say everybody, this is one of the funny things about Slack as a software uh, tool is everybody can and does use Slack. So we have sales teams that live in Slack and work with their prospects. We have engineering teams that out on the factory floor, they're actually doing manufacturing, connecting back to engineering. Everyone's using Slack. We have customers that have talked about this. We have customers doing service and supporting their customers in Slack. And so we started with engineering, but we pretty quickly realized is that Slack changes how you work. Most people work in email. We've been using email for over 50 <clears throat> years wasn't really designed for the world we live in today, certainly not the pandemic and, and how things have gotten very uh, different in the translate versus um, transform conversation, which I'm happy to touch on that. But even before uh, we all started working from our homes and even before all the change in the world, we were already finding a tipping point where customers were seeing that if they could change how they work and spend their time collaborating in Slack, both with people, but also with the content that they share, and the systems that they integrate, Slack kind of is this nexus that connects all that. Um, fundamentally, they just they get more work done. It's simpler and it's more productive, um, and it has a lot of positive cultural side effects that we can talk about around transparency and, and openness as well. That's kind of where we came from. So, so, all right. So, you know, so one of the things that's sort of striking about that, and also just about the way Slack kind of works. I was trying to think before the show, I was thinking about markets you serve, but the irony is it's not really like 
you don't really, there's no reason to have a normal definition of a market with you guys, because ultimately, for example, there's a, you can pick any huge, pick Salesforce, they're using you, right? So, you know, they not only you, they use you. So they're a gigantic company. You scale to thousands, hundreds of thousands, probably, you know, maybe millions if you, if you can technologically. But at the same time, we, you know, CRM Players has a happy hour community and it's an active community and something's going on that, and uh, with the happier hour people and they decided to create a Slack, a Slack group just to talk it, you know, to work things through, but it took them, you know, 35 seconds or whatever. And they did it and it was up and it's running, but you actually, you don't even serve like enterprise versus mid market versus you serve aggregations of people. You know, that's the irony of your market. It's so fluid and yeah. you can serve anyone really small or large. It doesn't actually, you know, in a certain regard in terms of, let's call it culturally, uh, but in ter- uh, but it does matter a great deal in terms of your vision and mission. You serve aggregations of people. You do not serve market-specific sizes. You don't need to. And yeah. I, I find that fascinating. It's very different than almost any other company I know. And, and similarly for me, being early at Salesforce and spending time with great companies like, like ServiceNow, where you have, you know, you know your market, you know your buyer set, it's very specific. We, we serve everybody. Our mission is to make work simpler, more pleasant and more productive, full stop for everybody. Uh, so that's true, but what's really interesting and a lot of what I do is my day job is figure out where are there pockets of commonality where we know customers get a lot of value, where right. customers see that this really transforms how their team can work. So we talked a little bit about engineering and certainly that's where we started and it's a big part of what we continue to do today. Kind of funny, before I knew that we were going to be acquired by Salesforce, we learned that some of the customer groups that had the most success changing how their team worked and helping them achieve their goals were things like pre-sales teams closing deals faster using Slack with their prospects. And I want to take a step back. You think about it. So I used to run Sales Cloud. Sales Cloud is all the people at your company entering information about the customer. The customer's not there with you. This is your team. You're there working in the system. And that's great. It has a lot of benefits around you know, deal velocity, forecast accuracy, team selling, all that. But what if you can pull the customer into that? And the customer is now in, in system yeah. with you and collaborating with you. So we saw that before the acquisition. In fact, uh, if you're familiar with Splunk, great technology company here sure. in the Bay Area, Splunk spoke at our conference uh, a couple of years back talking about how they really transform their pre-sales process to close deals faster, do better team selling because they could connect in this new way. Um, Similarly with service, uh, it's kind of fun to be at Salesforce and say that this is true of Zendesk, our friends across the way. Zendesk supports all their big customers um, directly by pulling them into Slack. So they don't keep a separate internal system. They work directly with the customer and communicate and support them more uh, transparently and openly in Slack. it's funny, we do serve everyone, but we definitely think a lot about where, where's there the most value. And right. when, when I found out we were getting acquired, what made just so much sense to me is where we were already seeing success. I mean, it's basically the, the big uh, parts of what Salesforce brings to market, their sales cloud, service cloud, marketing cloud, and so on. So um, that's been, uh, it's been great to see the teams coming together and how we're pursuing those opportunities together. Uh, one of the things that I was interested in just what were the big pieces that you wanted your customers and prospects to come away with from Slack Frontiers? Now, one of the things that I saw, um, and, and I forget exactly who said it, but something to the effect of 80% of processes and, and workflows created and, and even, I guess, certain apps the vast majority of these things are being created by non coders, non developers. And so making, you know, tools and platforms that enable regular folks, regular business folks, not hardcore programmers or coders to be able to do the things that they need. uh, And based on, I guess, being able to collaborate the way they need to seem to be one of the big takeaways for me and, and the focus. But what were the things that you really wanted folks to walk away with understanding uh, coming out of that conference? Yeah, great, great question, Brent. Uh, you know, I think that the big thing is actually where you opened when when I uh, joined the conversation, which is 
with all the change that's happened in the last year, year and a half, we've seen so many organizations are just basically translating what they did in an office to the world we're all working in now. And that doesn't work super well because when everyone goes into an office at the same time, you can assume they're free. You can assume you're going to schedule lots of meetings and take people's time synchronously. Um, what we've seen as people are working remote is maybe you've got to care for a child or you've got to take care of your home or you know a parent or whatever. It's, it's hard for people to assume that they're going to be synchronous in their working pattern. And so um, we've been on this concept of defining Slack as a digital HQ. So what we've all seen in the last year and a half is the foundation of how people work has gone from being the physical HQ was the required part to the physical HQ is, is nice. It's useful. It's a tool when we need to go in and use that whiteboard. But the digital tools have become the actual foundation. The challenge, though, is most of those digital tools weren't built for the world as it is today. And so our platform uh, announcements and the things we talked about there, one of the things we're trying to do is make it so that regular human beings, what we call knowledge workers, can, in this world we're working in today, automate their own work without having to go to an IT team or a developer and say, hey, can you, can you create a workflow to automate an approval for me or to create a reminder when something is due? Um, so one of the big things we've been working on as we've all gone through the pandemic is how can we make it easier for a regular person to increase their own productivity with technology? How do we democratize how a regular person can go in and say, you know, I could save three hours a week if I just automated this one step here. Um, and it turns out people have been doing that. So the, the quote that you shared, the history was a couple of years ago, we introduced our first version of the workflow builder. And 400,000 people have gone and built workflows, and 80% of those folks, they're not developers, they're not technologists, they're just regular people. Um, my EA built a workflow to keep me on point about making sure I'm good with the schedule going forward. So she automated me, which I think is a great idea. <laughs> um, so that's a big part of what we announced is in the platform. Um, we've actually rebuilt our entire platform behind the scenes at Slack. It's taken us almost two years to do this. We've reorganize the entire platform around this concept that you can think of like Lego blocks, where if we have modular blocks where most of us can figure out how to build something out of Legos, we might not design the kit where you see that glossy picture on the box. You're like, oh yeah, I'm gonna go do better than that. But most of us can build something that that does, you know, kind of shows what we're trying to do. So that was our, our, our inspiration for what we've done in the platform, which is two things really. The first is we've given developers new tools to make modular blocks all in service of them and made that a lot easier, made it so people can run their own code in Slack, um, manage all the skill and security and all that in the way they like. But what we're really excited about is the next phase where we democratize and open this up, where then you can find pre-built Lego components and you can assemble your own automation for your work. And I'll give you an example, because that's probably pretty abstract. So let's say you have a job working with customers and you need to send them a proposal get approval and then route that through a system internally, which happens all day long in pre-sales and post-sales pre post teams. Um, the way that that can work on Slack's platform is you're already working with that prospect or customer in Slack. You're sharing the information. You can, you can route them the contract directly pulling from, let's say, CRM. You can add a block that will automatically take that to DocuSign for their approval. And another block will know when that's been approved. It will then take that back put it in channel where everyone can see it and say, yeah, there it is, and push it all the way through to Salesforce without having to go manually update information and, and carry that record over. And then that kicks off the automation to basically provision or give the customer access to what they've, they've gone forward with. So each step in that chain normally requires a lot of manual work, back and forth, email, conversation, um, but it's kind of the same thing every time. And so you can take those blocks and automate end to end that process. Um, so. Things like that, where literally an account team could choose to do that, are uh, what we're trying to empower folks to do. So, here's it. So, I'm going to want to take this to sort of a really high level for a minute because one of the things that you know we're seeing sort of out there generally, and and you know I don't know how much of the opening conversation you heard, but um, you know we've seen a lot of transfer on. We've seen a, a change in how people consume content, how they, how they just, how content gets distributed. And the sort of other side of that is the idea of connection and communities become a huge 
deal. I mean, as opposed to, hi, we need to create an enterprise community or we need to create a community to do X, Y, Z, or we need a community of MVPs. It's now become much more general, uh, generally accepted that that is going to be a primary way that people actually engage with customers, with you know employees, with just people in general and so on and so forth. And in fact, if you look at Adobe's, uh, uh, their, um, uh, the Adobe Max conference, their theme was the connected creator, right? And if you look at everything Adobe's done, actually, with uh, Behance and everything else, it's basically a way to connect both internal collaborators, um, collaborators in a company, but also external agencies and, uh, and independent creators, too. And there it's more, you know, in Adobe's case, it's a lot more, here's all our assets in one place for the project and at the same time, here's some here's the commentary and discussion around it. So it's very simplified in a lot of ways, but the concept's right. And um, and you know, you guys are obviously in, if not a the prime position, right, to actually take that and universalize it to the whole industry, right? And to the and you know, and you've got there are channels now at Salesforce, like Salesforce Plus and other things that you can Sorry, you you guys can. That was Siri asking me a question. <laughs> Siri was saying she had trouble hearing me. As some reason, my my particular watch is deaf. I have no idea why. <laughs> Happens all the time. But um, you know, so um, I'm wondering how you, got, from a thought leadership standpoint, because that to me is also a critical part of how any business, you know, operates, and thus trusted advisor standpoint. How do you think of that? How do you think of that movement that's going on now and the generational shift and all yeah. of that? Yeah, I think I think there's a there's a real shift in in business culture. I would say where if you think about it, uh, in the past it was hierarchical, it was top down, it was very much um, you know, <clears throat> private communication, control the information flow. Yep. And I think that the digital natives have grown up in this very agile, fast paced, public, transparent. I will consume the information I need and filter out the noise model. And so that's a lot of how people find Slack to change their work life. If you think your primary collaboration is through email, if you're not on the email, you're not on the email. When you start as a new employee, you have nothing, you have an empty inbox. When you leave, everything you ever had is gone. Um, in Slack, Slack is this nexus point where people are working transparently and publicly in channels. So if you wanna know what's happening in a project, you can just go find it. You can literally search and the whole thing is transparent and you'll see what's happening. And so what we find with, with that different way of working is it, create, it actually creates cultural benefits where companies or customers, they find that they're more open because information is shared. They find that it, it, it helps younger people adapt to an enterprise type of role because it feels like their consumer life has felt their mm -hmm. whole lives. You can go out and find things. I mean, how many of us might have uh, kids or teens who live in Discord all day, right? It's it's very much like Slack for, for kids playing video games. Uh, so I think, but from that, we, we feel a tremendous responsibility, I will say also, to innovate in ways that help that transformation and not to assume the right thing is to focus on video meetings, for example. But we've spent a lot of our time working with customers and doing research on what do they want and how do we keep this new mode of working working for our customers? Uh, and so, for example, as we were finding that people were not having synchronous schedules, uh, we announced some new capabilities around asynchronous conversation. So we call clips where you can just record like a video message. It's capped at three minutes and share it with your team. A lot of times that'll do in, in lieu of a meeting, that'll be better. And that video is public. If it's posted in a channel, anyone can see your update and it's transcribed so anyone can find what you were talking about. So just that small move, like, oh, you weren't in the meeting versus here's this public update so everyone knows what is happening. Um, we've replicated also the ability for people just to have ad hoc audio conversations, right? Sounds simple, it's kind of like a phone call, but it's all organized around the way people work in Slack. And that's brought back that, you know, I was walking through the row of desks or cubes and I just wanted to chat with you. So these are things that we we had to think of and invent with our customers. And, and the reason we're doing that is because um, we've done a lot of research uh, with the Future Forum, which is an organization that we spun out to understand what does the future of work really look like. 
And if you follow that research, the punchline is most employees want flexibility. They don't want to go back to an office five days a week. We're not saying that's our position at Slack, but that's what it, that's what the research is showing. So we feel very beholden to keep creating tools and capabilities that help people when they are working wherever they're working, where digital is that common ground to match their lifestyle and what actually works and not assume that eight hours of 30 minute video meetings back to back and an email inbox is, is the way forward. Uh, so it's been, it's been a, a, a journey where we feel a great deal of accountability, but we've had a lot of success. So some of those things we've built, um, huddles, for example, is the fastest growing, and I'm saying this from Slack, is the fastest growing thing we've introduced to our customers um, in the history of the company other than Slack itself. So it's been fantastic. I've been watching um, a lot of things around metaverse versus omniverse. I'm the multiverse. So you got, you know, NVIDIA with uh, Jensen Wang and, of course, the Zuck when it comes to uh, metaverse. And some of the things, some of the videos I've been watching, it's not just, you know, kind of the virtualization of outside, you know, the workforce where, you know, everybody's kind of, you know, using or thinking of these things in terms of, the entertainment experience or, you know, things that allow us to kind of have a different kind of experience with friends and family, kind of that kind of vibe, but also how that kind of, I don't know if you just think about it as technology, but how on the verse metaverse can impact the way that people actually view work or visualize work beyond, let's say they're in their, their own home office, but putting this layer of graphics and you know all these different technologies to make it look different than it actually is physically. Does are you looking at how Slack can help in those areas? Like not just improve what kind of like what we are used to seeing when it comes to work, but actually helping to change the visualization of the physical place we're in to make it like what we would love a, a work space to look like, even if it's not physically there, you just put a layer on top of it and, and, and what kind of impact that could potentially have on actually carrying out the work. Yeah. So it's an interesting one. There's a lot of, a lot of new development and new, uh, I don't know, I want to say, uh, frontiers out there. Um, you know, I think what, what we're trying to do with with how you model work and how people work together is in, in most organizations, where do you get the pulse of the company? Like, how do you know what's priority? How do you know what work is happening? How do you know who's working on what? In most, most organizations, you have to go and like make slides to say that. Or you have to go ask people and try to figure that out. Um, and what we've been doing all along at Slack, the way that people use Slack, the way they self-organize in what we call a channel, which is a place where people can go and collaborate together around a project or a customer or really anything, um, that draws a map of the organization's priorities. That focuses the attention and the work. So, yeah, the way I think about it is actually the, the way that any of our customers use Slack naturally melds to be that that work that's happening and creates the structure where it's all there and it's it's all public. So if you're if you're an executive with a fair amount of span, you want to know what's going on, you don't have to ask the team. You just go in and, and see directly. You can see the work, but it's the actual work. It's it's what people are are doing every day. Uh, and I think that that has a lot of benefits around creating trust because for most of us with SPAN, we think trust, but verify. Oh, verify doesn't mean I have to go knock on a door or ask somebody. It's, I could just go see that. Um, so we, we do see uh, a, lot of, um, a lot of organizations find that they have a better map and a blueprint of what's really happening and what's important. And we actually can report on some of this and share this with our customers as, as we look at how they're using Slack. And so it's, it's different. It's not a visualization per se. It's the actual work happening. Um, a typical user of Slack spends eight hours a day working in Slack. Like it is the headquarters that they're checking into digitally. And so if you want to see that work product, if you want to see that output across all the people that you have and all the teams, 
it's kind of it's all in there which um which sounds really abstract and when we talk about it people are like huh that sounds really different but when you once you work that way it's almost impossible to work any other way because uh we were made for for work and most of the systems we've used have just sort of evolved over time but they weren't designed with intent uh, so it's it's pretty different so how do, how do you uh i mean to your earlier point um you were talking about how you know the younger generation digital natives have pretty much grown up communicating this way and 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 in, in interacting that way at the same time you know you're you're stuck with regulation and compliance issues and you know not everything can actually be open and, and reality is hierarchies are going to continue to exist long after we're gone um and you know the thing is that so even though your platform is built in effect on openness and collaboration obviously you have to take uh, for it to be valuable to companies who are regulated in some way um it has to take into account security and privacy and governance and all those other things so how do you how do you so how do you actually take that into account take care of it and at the same time continue to communicate the fact we're meant to be open and collaborative mm -hmm. but yeah but how do you do yeah. that it's a great great question uh we we do a ton there we don't talk a ton about it um because it's it's not things that, again, everybody can and does use Slack, a very small percentage of them think about that, but we definitely do a ton. So I'll, I'll start by saying, though, if you think about the alternative, the alternative has been email. Email is the number one source of phishing attacks that work mm -hmm. and distractions through spam. So it's a low bar to do better. But <laughs> um, for example, we just we just had an all hands call today and we, we had a huge win, uh, regulated industry, one of the biggest, um, pharma companies in switzerland signed up with slack to go wall to wall with us and so think regulated industry lots of rules they have to follow compliance that have to be implemented standards are set so at slack you know when we started we were very much everything's open everything's transparent but today um you know 77 of the fortune 100 are using slack with organizations outside of their own right and so think hmm. about all that confidential information, all the conversations that are happening. So we, without going into a lot of detail, we have built all the rules around data retention, around privacy, around control over that information. And our customers have all those knobs and dials that they can tune. Um, we also have you know, federal government organizations that are working with us as we have compliance there. We've got a lot of healthcare organizations that are working with us around, and so we've got our investments in compliance on that side. So um, Slack is made for everyone to be more productive, have a more pleasant and simple work experience. But behind the scenes, there's a ton of controls and things that you can do. Um, it actually takes me back when, when I was running um, Sales Cloud at Salesforce way back in the day, we were not an enterprise product. We were a mid-market SMB startup and that's how we were, that was our wedge, we were driving that wedge. And one of the things that I spent a lot of my time on was trust and security and control over information <clears throat> and all that good stuff. So I think most software companies, you start and you go really fast, but you, you get to a point where if you really want to succeed in the enterprise, you you have to live in the real world. And so exactly. we, yeah, we do all that. We actually win on our investments there and capabilities all the time. Um, but it's usually not the first thing we talk about because it's not what most people are, are looking for. Well, it's also not your... I mean, it's necessary to do, but it doesn't mean it has to be your philosophical foundation either, right? Yeah. So, you know, you you have a philosophy and you have uh, uh, um, a vision and mission that you are trying to accomplish and you have an outlook and that is something you're doing regardless of your outlook because you live in the real world. And uh, so no reason to have to talk about it that much. When it becomes a question, you answer the question. Yeah. That's all. Simple yeah. as that. So this was the first frontiers with Slack being a part of Salesforce. Um, and this is just, I like looking at a lot of these different conferences from like a, not just from an informational uh, standpoint, but from a kind of 
cinematic or you know production levels and things like that um how much has the salesforce approach to events how much of that showed up into frontiers because i thought it was real the it was very visually appealing um the way that keynote looked and and it was it was very well produced i mean it i i have not i don't think i ever saw a slack frontiers before in the acquisition but it just felt like it fit in from a standpoint of well all the salesforce things have definitely stepped up their their cinematic value for these virtual events and that seemed to fit right in it felt like i was watching like a tv show and it was a good tv show so thanks yeah you know it's funny i was uh, i was there when we were filming and uh we were in new york at a, a studio down in soho and um let me just first say it was cold the reason no one sweats <laughs> in these keynotes is it was probably around 62 degrees. Everyone was bundled up and sitting in the director's you chairs. Are, wait, 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 wait. You <laughs> actually think 62 is cold? I live in California. I mean, Yeah, on. you sure I do. You sure do. I lived in Chicago for 22 years, born in New York, but lived in Chicago 22 years. We we hit minus 62 sometimes. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's uh, I don't know that human beings can live in that kind of, that's like Mars, I think, isn't it? <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I think we, we um, you know, Slack, because, um, again, because we don't fit in a category and we aren't a company that grew up like living in one space, serving one type of individual, um, we feel like we have a lot of degrees of freedom. And and you know that uh, we were talking earlier about the the young generation everybody's got ADD. Everyone's not going to watch something unless it's really interesting. So going into that production, we, we had a lot of conversations. How do we, how do we make this something that someone would actually want to watch if they didn't have to watch it? What, what would that look like? That's, that's the bar we try to set. And I, I personally wish more, more of us in technology would apply Amen. that. Yeah. It'd be, it'd be a lot easier. So, to the choir here. Yeah, so you know the team, but it was it was a huge lift. I mean, we were uh, when we finished filming. I mean, that was that was the start of the real work, getting all the graphics in, overlaying all that, all the spliced in uh, sessions from the different folks that joined Stewart's uh, conversation virtually. It was it's a it's a it's a backloaded production, I would say, in the work. But um, yeah, I appreciate the kind words. We're 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 really happy to to continue to break the mold and, and innovate. I would say Slack is very much uh, an organization where we're, we're just, we're trying to climb a mountain. We're trying to do more and better every time. And everybody says that, but a lot of times what they mean is we're gonna hire more people commercially to take what we've already got. We're not satisfied with what we've got. We're not done with what we're building. And so that applies, I think also to the, the production we have in Frontiers. And, Next year we'll hand out sweaters or fleeces to everybody. <laughs> really, I mean it was. I felt bad. You know, can shoot on the West Coast. I'll tell you what. I'll get. I'll. You can give me one so I can give. But I'll get it in the size <laughs> someone else wants. Because there's no way I'm wearing a fleece in '62. I'm only wearing <laughs> this for decorative purposes. It's warmer, right? So, jeez, oh, '62. All right. So we've had a great conversation, uh, but. We end each of our shows with one question. And quite honestly, this determines whether we'll ever talk to you again or not. Um, <laughs> no pressure. But not I think I think you're gonna be okay because you said you're you're a West Coast guy. You 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 weren't from the East Coast, you've always been out there. I grew up in the Midwest. I was in uh-huh. high school when all the John Hughes movies were coming out where they were being shot and i thought that's how the world is i'm like that's how it is right like candles breakfast club that's, that's normal they come to your town and they film like your life right there uh, it is but no i, I but i'm molly ringwald molly ringwald so I, I should ask you student. are you a, a ducky guy or are you more of uh what was that guy with the three the three uh word name uh i can't not david uh, Alvarez, but you know the guy that the young guy in that group. Anyway, um, can't think of that guy's name right now. They'll come to me. But the question is, do you have a favorite professional football team? Well, it's going to be a tough question. I may never be back. I, I don't. Um, I'm a really 
busy parent. Um, so I'm a huge fan of the uh, Burlingame Panthers. The, uh, in fact, Mark Benioff went to the same high school my son's going to. Uh, um, and so I spend a lot of time transporting a uh, uh, one of my kids. So I, I don't really follow any professional sports. I more just have uh, what's going on in the home front. No, that's we'll just perfectly tell you. I have to say the most unusual answer we've ever gotten, but yeah. a perfectly great answer. Absolutely. We'll, we'll be glad to have you back. Since you didn't say the New England Patriots. No, Fair enough. That. That's the one thing that gets you banned for life on this show. They didn't tell me that in advance, so that I wasn't. No, they, I <laughs> listen, we make that we make we've made every major tech company sign NDAs on the question. <laughs> <laughs> They're not allowed to tell you. So we had a great time, and we will definitely welcome. Yeah, it was amazing, (laughs) and uh, and there is a lot more. I I have a lot more questions. I actually want to dig in with you, Anna, because I I really think you are, and especially now that you're aligned with Salesforce too. But even without that, you're really well aligned for where everything is actually going. And uh, and and when I say going, I'm not talking about some long tail window. I'm talking about like. The next five years which is where a lot of this is going to mature and so i i would love to dig in some more if you're you're up for it yeah happy to happy to find time and, and come back and, and talk more and i definitely appreciate that i mean that that's why i'm here right i uh i left a really great great opportunity and role because slack called me up and said hey we should talk about where the, where we think everything's going and uh a lot of that's been coming true. It feels really, really rewarding to be part of that journey. So happy to yeah. come back and chat more. Thank you. So All right. Much. Well, we definitely enjoyed having you with us. So on behalf of Brad Maddock, I'm Brent Leary. I'm Paul Greenberg. We are the CRM players, and we got to end with many. Got to have many in there. We'll see you next week. <laughs>